We're back with another episode of Hear the Spear, presented by Noel Game Day. I'm Ryan Stalder, accompanied as always by my co-host Ethan Vaughn. Today on the show, we will be discussing the spring game, which is coming up this Saturday. We'll be talking about a little bit about recruiting, including the commitment of prized quarterback Sam Howell. And we'll be bringing Dustin Lewis on to talk basketball. He's the resident basketball expert at Noel Game Day. Uh, just talk a little bit about what's coming up for FSU basketball this offseason and then looking forward to next season as well. So without further ado, let's get Dustin on. Hey, what's going on, guys? It's Ethan. We got Dustin Lewis, our basketball expert, as Ryan said, and we're going to run down a little bit about the uh, new transfer that Florida State basketball picked up, as well as kind of our expectations headed into next year and kind of just um, what we expect based on what Florida State has it coming back on the roster and, and that kind of thing. So without further ado, say what's up, Dustin. Hey, everyone. Uh, glad to be back on the podcast. Excited to be talking some hoops. All right. So uh, give us the, the info on Florida State basketball's newest transfer. Yeah, so it was a little shocking when uh, C.J. Walker announced his decision to transfer really less than a week after the season ended. He didn't play really great down the stretch in the tournament, but he started every game and he was going to come back as a junior upperclassman and maybe improve, but he made that decision to transfer to Ohio State. And FSU replaced him just a couple days later with a guard from Albany, a point guard, David Nichols, who's going to be a grad transfer. And he really projects to be a great scorer coming off the bench behind Trent Forrest. He shot 36 0.5% from deep last year, averaged 14.6 points. And then as a sophomore, he was even better when he averaged 17.9. So he really projects to be that extra scoring punch off the bench that we kind of missed this year when MJ Walker went cold. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, he seems kind of um, not exactly like for like, but pretty similar to CJ Walker. He's a, he's a smaller point guard. I believe he's 6'2". Um, you know, he, he seems kind of, kind of pretty similar. They shoot, they shot an almost identical percentage from three, which is an important thing when you're looking at guard play right around 36%. So not great, but not bad either. And, um, you know, he actually played at Albany with Joe Cremo, who's one of the the most coveted transfers on the market this year. You know, Florida state isn't going to play in for him, um, because it looks like all their scholarships are going to be filled. But um, it's interesting that, the, you know, they had two of the most sought-after transfers in college basketball. Um, but like you said, you know, C.J. Walker didn't play great down the stretch. Um, and, and I think that it's going to be, you know, obviously with, when he transferred, it put FSU to only one scholarship point guard on the roster um, in Trent Forrest. So Florida State really needed to find one on the grad transfer market. And it worked out. It seems like it worked out well. Um, so, you know, it, it's just... It's going to be good, I guess. He's he's got a scores mentality. He put up good scoring numbers in the past, and I think that's a big thing that Florida State needed heading into this next year is a little bit of scoring um, out of the out of the second unit. So I think he's going to be a great backup point guard as Trent Forrest slides into that full time starting role. So looking forward to next season, um, we we talked about the tournament a lot uh, before the tournament um, ended. Obviously, FSU had a great run into the Elite Eight. Um, but looking forward to next season, Dustin, talk a little bit about what FSU returns and like just the outlook of really the, the roster and the, the depth chart, if you will, a little bit of rotation-wise. Yeah, well, right now, FSU is returning 10 scholarship players. It could be 11 if Phil Kofer gets a waiver to play an extra year. We're still kind of waiting to hear word on that. But he's posted some stuff to Instagram that, kind of makes it seem like he's coming back or that he's got a nice little word in there. So if Cover comes back, we'll have our two returning score or our two leading scores returning, Cover and Terrence Mann, who both averaged over 12 points a game last year. And then obviously Trent Forrest, who really came alive in the tournament and took his game to another level. I think he could be in contention for ACC player of the year next year. If he continues to improve, he's, he played that great in the tournament. He was a game changer, but the the front line is something that I really think FSU is going to have an advantage over a lot of their opponents in next season. If Kofor does return, they'll have him as well as cabin jelly Kamaji, who will be a senior and Obiagu. 
And then there's still Raekwon, Raekwon Gray, who was a four-star, who uh, redshirted this year, who we haven't even seen yet. So it looks positive. I I was wondering, who do you think, looking looking back on this year, if you were to ask me coming into this past offseason, so before this season that just ended, who the leading scorer was, I would have given you probably, what, what Ethan, six names before Phil Kofer? And, uh, yeah, a lot, so a lot. That's a just lot. how that's just how kind of Florida State basketball. That's their mantra: eighteen strong, eighteen uh, strong, or whatever. So, who do you think? I know it's hard to put a finger on it, but I kind of have an idea in my mind. I was just wondering, who do you think will be FSU basketball's leading scorer next season? I would say Trent, off the top of my head, just because of the way he played in the tournament, getting to the rim, attacking. And he also knocked down a few jumpers. He's still trying to get his range consistent out there. He only shot 21.4% from deep this year. So he's got to keep stretching that outside shot, as do a lot of the other guys on this team. Ethan, do you have an idea as to who you think would be your leading scorer? Obviously, I give you a little bit more time to think about it than I did, Dustin. You know, I I, I have a hard time saying anybody. I, I think I think I'd probably go man. Um, it, it's either man or forest. To me, I, I don't really see like I don't really see another option. That, like right, someone could inter- emerge, that's but I don't see another option. I I I see another option. I would say MJ Walker. See, I, I just I, I I thought I thought you might say that or might go that route, and I thought I thought so myself because because I was about to jump into the point where you know the one big departure that you have is Brian Angola. And obviously, MJ Walker is pretty much like the shoe in to fill in for Brian Angola. At the two, and, yep. and um, but the thing that kind of held me back on MJ Walker's point of view is, is he started off really hot at the beginning of the year. You know, the first probably half of the season, he played really well, knocked down his threes. He still hadn't quite figured things out in terms of you know like really fitting into the offense and driving to the basket and, and that kind of thing. But um, just down the stretch of the season, he just couldn't find he couldn't find his stroke on his jumper, and uh, he just he really put up a a bunch of um, games where he didn't he didn't score a lot of points. And, and so I, I you know what I'd say is if MJ Walker ends up being the team's leading scorer, then things went really really well. You know that that would be yeah. a sign that, that would is be true. A, that would be a sign that like things are like because you have you have three guys you have Kofer who led the, who led an elite eight team in scoring. You've got Forrest who turned it on and looked like a you know an all ACC caliber player, and then you have Terrence Mann who Who's you know been like the, top three in scoring since he was like a freshman almost. Yeah, who who you know you know you know what you're getting from Terrence Mann. So if MJ Walker beats out all three of those guys to be the team's leading scorer, then I would say that things you know that would be an indicator of a really successful year. Yeah, that's a good point. And just kind of point out his struggles a little bit more. He he only scored four points twice over his last eight games. Other than that, it was two or donuts. And then the tournament, he shot three of 18 overall. So he really did struggle down the stretch. I don't know if it was maybe the season, like the grind getting to him, but. Well, yeah, a lot of times you hear hear about that freshman wall and it seemed like he hit it big time. So we'll see, you know, what, what that, what that does. And maybe, you know, this year it kind of seemed like his playing time was a little bit sporadic. You know, from you know, yeah. depending on the game, yeah. and next year he's really going to have to slide into that. You know, he's probably going to slide into that starting spot at shooting guard. So uh, maybe you know, he's the type of guy that that really benefits from from seeing consistent starting playing time. So, so for the projected starting five, um, just off the top of my head, uh, would it be fair to pencil these guys in, Dustin? Um, so Trent at uh, point guard. Um, MJ Walker at shooting guard, uh, Terrence Mann at the three, Kofer at the four, assuming he comes back, and then uh, I guess Kamaji at the five. Kamaji will start, but he's not the best player at the five. Yeah, but, no, but I we think Kalangeli and and Obiagu are better. Uh, yeah, I agree. I I would probably start. I would start Obiagu. The starting doesn't really matter because they all like the minutes, like they the. Florida State subs the center first every single game. Like the center, the center does not play more of that many minutes to start the game. Yeah, you know. Well, I, I mean, like I like starting uh, Kamaji over Obiagu or Cabin Jelly 
because then you have the option to play those two together off the bench. And I think that gives FSU an advantage over pretty much any other team's second unit bigs. That's true. That's a good point. It's really yeah. going to be interesting to see how Cabin Jelly like develops. You know, I, I get, we didn't really get to see what he would look like as a true freshman, but versus what he showed as a recruit and what he showed this year, he grew a lot. So, you know, if that if that kind of growth continues, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to watch. I think he's gonna be a really good player at FSU. I, I know that's not that bold of a statement. He was a really good player in the tournament, but I'm just saying, like, I think he'll kind of be a special kind of four year college player. Yeah, he was that. He was a raw, athletic type player coming in, and he's starting to develop basketball skills, which is what you want to see. Like he can already kind of shoot it from deep. He can handle the ball a little bit, and he plays. He plays really good defense. So, as he continues to grow, I'm I'm interested to see what he develops into. Agreed. You know, he. I always thought, you know, Terrence Mann was one of those one of those guys that I thought. You know, and, and you know when he came in in that class that included Dwayne Bacon and and um, Malik Beasley, I, I always thought that Terrence Mann was going to be one of those you know special four year guys that end up turning into you know like an all conference type player, super productive college yeah, players. Yeah, that aren't good enough to make that one or two year jump to the NBA, but are, are good are very good, you know, for four years at the collegiate level. And you know, to a certain extent, Mann has turned into that. He's a very good player for Florida State, but I, I mean. His lack of development of an outside shot is kind of put on a kind of put on a cap as to what he can become. But the fact that Kevin Gelly's six eight and and plays the defense that he does and has an outside shot already burgeoning as a as like a stretch for his fresh his retro freshman season, you know that's just kind of that's a special situation right there. You know, and I think he might get. You know, there were some rumors around the I, there were some tweets and rumors around the the tournament time. You know that that scouts had taken a look at him and you know i don't i don't think he will end up being like an nba player um per se but just to sh- that just shows you the kind of improvement and player he's become already all right well i think that wraps up basketball talk dustin i thanks for coming on i think we got to have you on more often now because <laughs> with with the with the increase like interest in florida state basketball just from the fan base to total uh, because, frankly, Florida State basketball has earned it. Um, there's nobody really better to talk basketball with, so thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks Thanks again for having me, guys. But without further, any further uh, ado, we are going to get into the commitment of four-star quarterback Sam Howell, who is ranked at, by uh, 24-7 as the number one pro-style quarterback in the country and uh, the number five pro-style quarterback in the country um, by the composite, if if I'm correct on that. So uh, Ryan, can you give us a little bit of insight into what that means and, and what this commitment's going to mean for Willie Taggart in his first full class at Florida State? So the quarterback is always the first domino to fall. It's the it's the magnet in the recruiting class, if you will. Uh, Sam Howell is a, a really good get because, first of all, he's really sought after. If you look at his offer list, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. And they all legitimately wanted him. None of the like I'm, I'm assuming all of those were committable offers. I know certainly some of the best uh, recruiting schools in the, or uh, quarterback schools in the country would have taken him. Um, also, it's it was pretty impressive that Taggart got Taggart and Walt Bell really deserves most of the credit. Got how to commit before even the spring game after just one visit to the campus, um, which I, I guess even they kind of put the it seemed like they had to turn up the pressure on him. Because I think I don't think he planned to commit that morning when he woke up, or at least two mornings before he committed. When he woke up, I don't think he was planning to commit. Do you, do you agree? I mean, he didn't even set a commitment date or anything. He just I tweeted agree. it. I it, ca- yeah. It, like in the afternoon, the he just tweeted like 7:30 p.m. tonight, like huge announcement. So I I'm telling you what I think happened is that uh, Daniels, Jaden Daniels from uh, California and Tyson Fomacon from Connecticut both toured also. And I think the staff, I think Walt was kind of just telling uh, how, like, if you want to be our guy, you got to get in now because, like, there's no, I, there's nothing stopping me from taking commitments from the other two, especially because, and I'll let you, I don't want to ramble too much because there's a lot of talking points uh, on this topic. But one thing I will say is Walt Bell uh, was 
Sam Howell's first offer. You, you knew that, right? Yes. He was Just also like Tyson Fomacon's first offer. Did not know that one. Think about that. That's really that you know that's that that really is impressive. That's 24/7's number one pro style quarterback and 24/7's number one dual threat quarterback. Sam Howell at, at Maryland as the offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach Walt was Bell, the Walt first. Bell. Oh, what I say? What I say? Sam Howell. Oh, excuse me. Walt Bell as as Maryland's OC quarterbacks coach was the first coach to offer each of those players, and they both turned. This was like two or three years ago, and it both they both turned out to be the number one respective. Uh, players by their categorization yeah no so. that that's a big deal that kind of shows you what you're dealing with um in terms of walt bell and his uh, um and his evaluation skills um that's certainly impressive i, I didn't realize that he was palmachan's first first offer i knew that he was Howells because that's been discussed pretty pretty widely and um but i i agree with you i i think that you know i'm not sure exactly how it went down in regards to you know i don't know if um taggart and and, and Bell sat down and said, "Look, you know, if you want in, if you want to be the first guy in, you, you want to be the guy." Can you see a scenario guy. where? Can you see a scenario where they didn't, where some outside pressure didn't influence a quick decision? I mean, yeah, I guess I could see. You know, he just he came back off that visit, talked it over, slept on it a couple nights, and said. But it wasn't a. It wasn't a couple nights. He he visited, on, I think, the weekend of the thirty first. So that's like ten days later. Yeah, nine days to later, me, I, I tend to, I agree with you. I tend to lean toward. Okay, I, okay. I as long as as long as you can, because, you because think. to me the biggest thing is because of the the spring game coming up. I think I think that to me, if if you if I think what happened is they they realized that Howell was probably their top target. Um, you know, I I I think all three guys were pretty pretty level, but I think. They might have identified Howell as being their top target and maybe the one that was most realistic to get an early commitment from. And they they said, look, we're going to try and, and get him to commit before the spring game and come down here for the spring game and really get into recruiting. And, and so I think that I do think that there was a certain amount of of um, influence from the coaching staff into that that timing of that commitment. OK, so we've established that. FSU landed their top quarterback target, certainly refreshing after the, the last, I don't know, 18 months of the Jimbo Fisher era where it seemed like we couldn't get anything going, uh, especially with quarterbacks. Um, Which was so, abnormal. but Yeah, but so that's refreshing. But I will say that I don't think they're done at quarterback, and I don't even think that they're done with the top targets. Not saying they're going to land anybody, but I'm, I don't think this means that they're going to stop recruiting Fomacon, especially because him and Walt Bell have such a good relationship. I can see Daniels being a little bit more unrealistic as I don't think he would come all the way from California across the country when he has schools like USC and stuff down his throat to, to go there. But I, I could, I could still see them landing a player like Fomacon or maybe somebody that's not on the board yet because I, I you know, I tend to believe that I think they're going to recruit Fomacon and, and I don't know, maybe, Maybe he does. I mean, we've seen it before. I mean, you thought the year that that Florida State landed DeAndre Francois, they had three quarterbacks committed into the last you know week of the recruiting cycle when Kyle Loxley flipped to Texas, um, but they ended up signing two four-star guys in DeAndre Johnson and DeAndre Francois. So I mean, it's not you know the president's there, uh, but you know I. And I guess maybe those guys are just, you know, more confident than me. But I, I just don't see I, – I wouldn't I wouldn't commit to a school with, that already had another quarterback committed just because – not because I don't necessarily think that I'm better than him, just because there's a chance that he's better than me and it cuts down on, on – you know, it kind of cuts down on having a guy in your class, you know, of a similar caliber cuts down. I understand the logic. You know. I, I, all I'm saying is that it's happened before and I think that – Walt Bell with his relationship with Fomacon and Taggart with his recruiting prowess are capable of it. That's all. I, I definitely think that's possible. The, I, I forgot the quarterback, the, the quarterback that's I, IMG right now. Yeah. The three star. Yeah. I think he's, he's the type of guy you might see Florida state end up landing as a, as a second guy in this class. Yeah. Which would be fine for sure. They need to. So because say Francois transfers oh, or, or who, whoever you got to assume one transfer one one minus one attrition from the current 
three, yeah, right? Cause, yeah, because no matter who starts, all going to be, yeah. They're all relatively the same grade, same eligibility, and well, there's only one starter, so I would assume that one they're guy actually, be They're actually pretty, the um, they're actually spread out, right? No, I mean, no, no. Well, well, they uh, are, they are, they are kind of spread out. Like for being, they all came in within yeah, two years of each I other, and they're saying, three but, years. But the only thing is, they all have so much eligibility left that I yeah. don't think like, I don't think uh, Hawkman will wait three years to start. No, I don't think so either. Um, but do you want to move on to like further recruiting? What you're looking forward to in the spring game? You want to go ro- straight into roster or keep? Uh, Let's just keep on the recruiting the okay. recruiting trend. Okay, so um, FSU's already landed their top targeted DB and quarterback. Um, the top to, to be noted, the top target at DB was landed under the previous staff. But oh, yeah, yeah. So no, I'm just I'm not like I'm not giving credit to the staff. I'm just like, yeah, kind of putting I'm just like packing some things behind us, and then we're gonna move forward. So they have the top corner. They have the top two corners. Uh, two of the top three corners on their board are committed, right? So they got uh, Travis J and Akeem Dent. I think Jay's end up ends up as more of a safety, but okay. Well, two of the top DBs then at least. Um, they have the, their quarterback. They'll probably keep recruiting another one, but they have one. So running back recruiting, the the, the big names you're looking at right now are um, obviously Trey Sanders. Trey Sanders, who may or may not be at the Florida, top of their board. Florida Qu- lean right now. Yeah, Quavaris Couch or Crouch. I'm not sure. He's from he's from North Carolina. Um, he's like two he's like six two two twenty five. He's like a bigger back, but I think he's either the number one athlete or the number two running back in the country. And then you also have the California running back, all purpose back, who's been to the campus already once, who is I believe Sean Dollars, right, Ethan? Yeah. So that's um, that's the, that's three really good backs. I like FSU's chances to land one of them. We will see. Ultimately, um, I don't. Right now, it's a little too early. Sanders has been once. Dollars has been once. I'm not sure that. Crouch I don't think Crouch has been on has campus. Has been on yet. campus, but I know they're recruiting him. So that's kind of their. That's their top three running back board right now. So those are just three names to keep an eye on. Uh, then at receiver, um, they There's are a lot of names at receiver. There, yeah, the, there always is every year. That's just how it works. There's a lot of Florida talent at receiver. I, I was looking today, like uh, the either the number one or two guy on their board right now, John Dunmore, is like the number fourteen receiver in the country, and he's still like a top one hundred player. So it's just yeah. crazy how many top how many top receivers are. Yeah, Dun, Dun, Dunmore is like a, a guy that that a lot of people come away impressed with. Um, I think to me, Dunmore is like Travis Rudolph. I was going to say that's, that's a pretty good. That's a pretty I th- close. I th- I think that yeah, I'm going with with Travis Rudolph. I think that's the type of player he is. He's one of those players that's a pretty polished wide receiver, especially by Florida wide receiver standards. But he maybe lacks that like elite physical attributes that some of the other guys have, like you know the speed and and athletic ability. So um, I I think another guy that another guy where we're talking wide receiver, another guy that's visiting um, for the spring game is George Pickens. He's a 6'5", 200-pound receiver, ranked 111th nationally, number 20 wide receiver. Um, he's from Hoover, Alabama, so he's another guy that's coming in this week. And I forget his name, but there was another wide receiver coming in from Texas that was 6'5". Um, you know, I'm not sure. I, I can't remember his name. He's just coming in for you, the spring game? Yeah, he's coming in for the spring game. So the names shows. I was going to say is right now the the, the – the guys that FSU are really recruiting, that the names that are reoccurring names that you should probably know, are John Dunmore, who who we talked about. He's a big Florida State lean, called Florida State his dream school. He's a top 100 receiver um, from the state of Florida. Then you have their n- number one target, who I believe people think is a Clemson lean. Ladson. Um, it's it's very early, but Frank Ladson. He's I think the number one receiver in the s- state, if not the number one receiver in the country. Um, then you have. Right now, so those Hazel, two guys take. I think Hazelwood's the number one wide receiver in the country. Okay, yeah. So number one wide receiver in the state. Then, so those two guys are takes. FSU would take either of their commitments right now, um, without a doubt. They Actually, I, I think they would take a Dunmore commitment, but there was some like wishy washiness on that. Um, as recently well, as about a month ago, over over they that that some people thought the staff had questions as to 
Dunmore's top end speed, but I do believe that they would take his commitment. I think they would take his off, commitment ultimately. Yeah. Um, maybe maybe they could push him out later in the cycle, but I think if, they would if take they his land, yeah, if they land enough high quality so, guys. To, so, but uh, an important thing to keep in mind here with with receiver is that um, FSU took five if you count um, Cam Mc, Cam uh, McDonald last cycle. So. The odds that they take that many this cycle, maybe two tops, maybe three if they're the right guys, you know. But uh, I don't think necessarily it's going to be a stacked year receiver, so they can kind of take their foot off the gas a little bit and just wait and see um, and just keep recruiting everybody hard, you know, see who's really in. They don't have to push for they could, Yeah, they can, afford to, they can afford to sit there and cherry pick. Yep, exactly. Cherry pick, that's a, that's a good term. So... Those, so those are some of the names at receiver. Um, you also have the kid from uh, Georgia from uh, the high school that um, Warner Robbins. Is that it, Ethan? That FSU was recruiting really heavily before. Um, uh, no, no Grayson. 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 That's it. Um, I think he's a, a safety slash wide receiver. Um, but that's just another name to keep an eye on. I can't remember his name right now. They all kind of. It, it does see. I, I don't think. I think there's a little bit of tension in that relationship um, between between Florida State and Grayson right now. Um, I'm not sure how. Jason Sheffield is the name I was looking for. He's not at Grayson. Where is he? He's at Warner Robins. He go, no, no, no. He goes to Frederica Academy. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Which is on the Georgia. coast of Georgia. Yeah. Okay. So that's the receiver board. Those are the kind of the people that, again, FSU is not going to take that many, so they can kind of sit and wait. Um, so that means we can kind of sit and wait and just see what, what they're going to do. Uh, as far as the tight end board goes, the, the only guy who's been on campus, I believe, is Keon Zipper from Lakeland. Uh, he's a four-star. Uh, he's not that – I think he's like – he's a really highly ranked tight end. I think they got him as uh, – he's a top three tight end in the country right now on, on composite. But he's only 6'2", so I'm not sure – how that fits in the Taggart system or necessarily what, what that would mean in Florida's offense or Florida State's offense, but he's visited Florida and Florida State. Um, I think that would be maybe their top guy right now. Also, I'm not sure if it was the previous staff or this staff that offered Hunter Henry's little brother Hudson. I know no game. It was, it was this staff. It was okay, this so staff. this so this staff, are you sure? Yes. I, feel like I remember was, it. Okay, so no, okay. So if you say so. So Hunter Henry's little brother, Hunt, uh, Hudson, who's from Little Rock, Arkansas. He's the number one tight end in the country. And I don't think FSU is like – I don't think they're considered like a favorite or anything or even in his top schools, but uh, they did offer him. And he said he wasn't going to go to Arkansas just because that's where his brother was. He was going to go to the best fit for him when Noel Game Day interviewed him. So there's that. Uh, as far as the offensive line board, uh, the tackle board is still – uh, a little unclear. There's a lot of targets. Will, Will Putnam is is one. He, and he's a guard. Putnam's listed as a guard. Yeah, he's. They have him as a guard, I believe. Yeah, he's a guard. Uh, he's okay, a big the guard. Tackle board. The, the tackle board is still to. Yeah, well, the, I know they had the number one tackle in the country from Michigan, uh, Devontae Dobbs on campus, I believe already. Yeah, that that's uh, a big one. That, yeah. Yeah. So they had him on campus. Um, he's from Michigan, so he has a pre- prior relationship. With uh, Greg Fry, FSU's offensive line coach. Um, uh, other than um, other than him, the, the board is kind of unclear. Obviously, Wanya Morris still holds an offer. He decommitted, like with the uh, uncertainty with the Jimbo staff. I doubt he comes back. Um, it seems like I think he's he's either. It seems like he's Tennessee or Georgia bound. FSU needs so. an elite offensive line class this class, though. They really do. The, so very they very need tackles too because they don't they haven't landed an elite tackle since um I guess Josh Ball if you call him an elite tackle but I don't know I think I, honestly we can get into this but I do think that he's going to I think he's going to take a big step forward this year all right we'll, we'll get into that in a minute but so the guard board is a lot more clear I think you have three top guys um Devonte or is it Vonte or Devonte De, uh, Dante it's Dante Dante Lucas. Lucas. Yeah, yeah, he he has a previous relationship with I believe Telly Lockett, who his brother played in the NFL for. Does that sound right, Ethan? Sounds There's about a- right. I also know that you know they interviewed um, 
saw some quotes given by him uh, after the commitment of Sam Howell, and he's referring to Florida State as we. So I think that that's a, you see that on twenty four seven. Uh, yeah, um, I someone sent credit me the, to whoever. Yeah, twenty four seven. I was I was sent the quote. Um, didn't actually view it on twenty four seven, but that is where the quote originated. All right, fair enough. Uh, um, also on the guard board, so the, there's three guys. You already uh, alluded to one of them, and then we just touched on the other one. So you got Dante Lucas, who he's very much considered an FSU lean. You have Will Putnam, who's a big guard, 6'4", 280. He's from, I believe, Illinois, but he plays at IMG right now. So he's, he's at IMG? No, no, no it's, it's Tampa Plant. But I yeah, think he's, he's at from Plant. Illinois. He is. He's listed as being from Illinois, but I think he moved, and now he's playing for Plant High School okay. in Tampa, which okay. is where James Wilder Jr. played. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Um, and then Evan Neal, whose brother or cousin or brother? Cousin, Chaz Neal. Cousin. His cousin is currently uh, an offensive tackle at uh, FSU, so he could come and think he was going to play next to his cousin, even though Chaz Neal will likely never start. Fair enough? Unless a miracle happens with his development, I yes, I agree. All right, so let's move on to the defensive end board. So uh, defensive end, just briefly, you have uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, who is the number one player in the country. He will be in Tallahassee this For a weekend. second time, right? First this time, is his second time. time. First time? First, yeah, for sure. First time. He tweeted that he is uh he tweeted that he is missing Coachella for Tallahassee, so it better be lit. And uh this weekend in Tallahassee, not only do you have the uh highly sought after vanilla ice and salt and pepper, but you also have on a more serious note, uh Young Thug and Uzi, right? Ethan are in, in Tally this weekend. Yeah, I think so. Little Uzi Vert. Okay, so um, so you have Kayvon Thibodeau, you have Chris Bogle, who will be there this weekend. He is the Cardinal Gibbons defensive end. Cardinal Gibbons is in Fort Lauderdale. Um, that's where Daniel Wright went, who just went to, um, uh, Alabama. He was committed to Florida state for a while. Um, you also have Lloyd Summerall is one of the top DNs in the state of Florida. He's a name to keep an eye on. I know FSU and Florida are recruiting him. Uh, and then those are those are the guys who are more of like the weak side, and then the the strong side DNs. Um, you have who do you have? Oh, you got Derek Hunter. He is a uh, he's a big uh, one of the better better defensive ends in the state. I think or in the country. I think when the new rankings come out, he'll jump up a lot. He's a four star right now, but I think he'll be a high four star. Five. You already star. have commitments to you know for Mike. Yeah, Norris. and I'm gonna get to them in a second. You already have two commitments at. The more of the strong side defensive end position, those are um, Mike Morris from Heritage Del Rey. That's not the same high school as Tavares McFadden and Brian Burns. Um, and then you also have uh, Quayshon Fuller, who is uh, a, another strong side defensive end commit Fort, in this Fort class. Myers, yeah. So I think as far as the end, you, you kind of have like a good base set. So you can kind of shoot for the stars a little bit, which I think what they're doing. Um, should be interesting to see who who they can pull there. There's a good amount of names. Uh, I'm not I'm not sure really. The defensive tackle board is not set at all really. I know they just had I believe they just had DJ Dale on campus. True Thompson's committed, and that's kind of all I know. As far as nothing else seems like too clear. Um, so it, just keep an eye on that. Also, the biggest need in this class, in my opinion, is linebacker. So that's a really big name, like a really big, uh, I don't know, topic of that should concern you and especially into recruiting. Especially going to more of a base four three, where you're going to have three linebackers yeah. on the field. It's yeah. definitely bigger, a bigger focus. So that's the that's the skinny on the linebacker position. The problem is. Florida State really doesn't have like much traction with any linebackers right now. Like it's super early. I'm not saying What's like the the um the five star linebacker from Nick, Mississippi, Nicobe Dean. I think I think there's a certain amount of traction there. Yeah, it, there is, and it helps that obviously Cam Akers is on campus and probably loves Florida State. So maybe we'll see as the season goes on. He's the number one inside linebacker in the country. Nicobe Dean from Mississippi is Ethan's referring to. He's the only one that I've seen any like back and forth with 
Um, so just keep, definitely keep an eye on linebackers. We'll be keeping an eye because, as of we said right now, I don't think they're close to landing a commitment with anybody. Uh, that's up, at least not behind the scenes. I'm not sure about that. So cornerback, I think they're they're they have Dent, which is the best cornerback in the country at least right now. He's number one corner on 24/7 composites. Um, and then you have Travis J, who's a DB. You're not sure what he's gonna play at um in at Florida State, but pretty sure it, he's more of like a free safety type. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he's a he's free had safety eight. He's, he's played two seasons of, of high school football. Um, or three seasons now, and his sophomore and junior year, he's at eight. He's at eight interceptions. So, wow. so each year, each year, so sixteen interceptions. So uh, another thing with um, Jay is he's currently like a low, or at least a three star. I'm not sure how low of a three star, but he's a three star right now on the composite. But um, FSU's definitely way higher on him, and he he should be. They were high at on least, him. At least a mid four star, if not a high four star. Um, in the next rankings, or if not, then before the cycle ends. Yeah, no, he was he was someone that that the previous staff was high on, and then now this staff is high on as well. And uh, it's hard not to believe, you know, see that he'll he'll break into the four star ranks. Really impressive guy physically, and and clearly he's backed it up with production at the high school level. So I think that he's a guy that that'll eventually, like you said, end up as a four star type guy. So other than. Um... Other than those two corners, I think they'll probably take one more, maybe two, if if they're some of these names. But you have, um, other than the two commits, you have Andrew Booth, who's from uh, Georgia. Right now, he's a consensus top 50 player, I believe, um, in the country. He's a 6-1 corner with good, uh, good frame and good ball skills, and he's pretty physical. He's one of the top corners in the country. He's pretty high in Florida State. The other corner that is surprisingly pretty high in Florida State, is Jeremiah Cradell. He's from Matter Day in, in Cali. And he's he's been he's already been to Florida State for the spring. He's a uh, I think him and Booth are both like top ten corners. Um so that's I mean like I said those are two names outside your commits to keep an eye on uh, at corner. The only name I know at safety that I would feel pretty good about right now is the Ethan, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I don't, I don't know if you know this kid, but I'm gonna let you guess. All right. What, what do you know about Raymond Woody the third? I don't know. The last name kind of sounds familiar. So Raymond um, Woody uh, is FSU's linebackers coach. His son just moved with him to to Tallahassee. He goes to univer- uh, Florida State University School in Tallahassee. Um, he's a four-star safety. So uh, he's gonna be playing basketball for Charlie Ward. Yeah. So. I would say that's a pretty. I feel feel pretty confident about that. I don't know. You think his dad takes him? You think he's a take? I don't know. I I don't know. I think his dad might ha- have a hard time looking at him in the eyes and saying, "Son, you're not a take." So. Yeah, you're not a take. All right, now. So, so I think I think I fully expect him to be in the class unless when the new unless when like um, evaluation comes and he's really not a Florida State caliber player, which like I said, I don't expect because right now at least he's listed as a four star. I honestly haven't seen his film yet, so I can't speak on it other than that. But that, that we just went through every position, Ethan. Yep. I think so we now we can. I think if you know all those names, you'll be able to follow Florida State recruiting really well for at least through the summer until some new names emerge. And uh, to put that, we I think know, a lot we... of those guys will be Seminoles, by the way. Yeah, no, uh, Taggart right now is is very impressive on the trail. He's just, you know, it seems like every day it's like there's a different four-star on campus. And, and you know, like like under the previous staff, and, you know, this isn't to just say, oh, Taggart's a better recruiting than a guy like Jimbo Fisher who signed, I don't even know how many five-stars and, and top five classes or, or, you know, during his time at Florida State. It's just kind of like, to me, I think what you're seeing under Taggart is, is a wider net's being casted. Uh, under Jimbo, I think a certain amount of players that they evaluated heavily met what they wanted to do, and they decided to only recruit that group of guys. And so there was a certain, I think there was a smaller board, but it seems like with Taggart, you know, guys that you've never, four-star guys that you haven't, you know, really heard their name linked to Florida State, and next thing you know, boom, they're showing up for visits in Tallahassee right and left. So, you know, it's, it's kind of an interesting time, and I think some of that to a certain extent is brought on by the fact that Taggart's new in Tallahassee, and uh, you know he he Never didn't lost. Have, undefeated. He didn't have yeah he didn't have the time to kind of like 
you know, he's he's creating one of those like bigger boards and, and trying to catch up with this recruiting cycle. It's the same so, thing. If I, if I were to pitch you a business idea, then and I hadn't had any sales or any product yet, it would sound a lot better with my ideal offer or ideal pitch than once you saw a year worth of sales and you could go, wait, what about this, 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 and this, you know? It, exactly. That's, that's it's a, like a, an analogy for how Taggart can recruit right now. He can go, listen, on offense, we're going to do this. We're going to hand, we're going to hand the running backs. We're going to hand the ball off 40 times. Wide receivers, you guys are going to get three touchdowns I mean, a game. Yes and no. Like he, people could point to what he's done in the past. No, I know, uh, but it's just, it just, I'm just saying everything sounds a lot better yeah. until you go, they're, well, they're, how'd you lose three games last season then? At Florida, you know, at Florida State, he's kind of got a blank sheet. And if someone checked him, he could just be like, look, I, I haven't been anywhere where I've had the kind of talent I have now. And so and I'm the, it's a completely up. different staff. I mean, he's got a new DC and OC. So that, that makes it for a lot of ex- potential excuses. So, yeah, exactly. I mean, he doesn't have any, you know, if he's playing that game, he can't point to any, any you know, he can't point to this any success that he's had at Florida State. But nobody can point to any failures he's had at Florida State. So it's kind of a blank slate and whatever he can make of it he can make of it for this cycle. So, and I think that he's certainly skilled at making that blank slate look very positive. I really hope um, that Sam Howe can be a, the kind of recruiter that like you want out of your bell cow, regardless of position, because if he's a really good recruiter, there's no telling like how far this class goes. Like, I don't know how vocal Justin Fields was last year, but you saw his Georgia's class was like good, like decent. And then as soon as he committed, like it, I'm sure there's other factors. Like, don't get me wrong, but it just took off. Yeah, I mean, and to, and and let me let's press preface this by saying like Howell's nowhere near the player that Justin Fields. Oh is. no, not at all. I'm just saying that but, having but, a bell cow quarterback. Yeah, exactly. That quarterback, Kevin quarterback, and, and it's really you know, he's got to be your quarterback's got to be a guy that that can get along and and really be personable with people, meet these recruits from different parts of the country, you know, over one weekend and really have them become comfortable with him recruiting him to that school. And I certainly think that, you know, that Howell has that ability. And, um, you know, and, and and that's part of it. And the other part of it is social media. So we got to see, how, you know, social media, it can be discounted as a tool, but it really is one that, that could be used to Howell's advantage and to, to all these quarterbacks that are recruiting individuals to their school. It can be used to their advantage. Yep, definitely. Okay, so... I believe we touched uh, a good bit on recruiting. Um, I I think, I mean, obviously the spring games is Saturday. Spring ball is almost over. Um, what are your initial thoughts going into the spring game? Um, I'll share mine after you share yours. Um, I mean, it, it's just going to be interesting to see. I think one of the biggest things, obviously, to watch is quarterback. It's going to be a whole new system. Uh, you know, I, I've made it no secret that I think that James Blackman's probably the guy that I would pick for the job. Uh, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, what the quarterbacks are able to do, what what Blackman and Hawkman are able to do. I'm not sure. Have we heard yet definitively? I don't think Francois is going to be playing. Am I, am no, I right? He's not. He's not playing. So, um, you know, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know if they they might throw him back there. You know, in a non-contact yeah, no. jersey. But yeah, I think no. it's too yeah too risky. So they haven't um, definitively said he's not, as far as I know. But I'm 100 percent sure he's not playing. Yeah, I didn't think so. I, I didn't think so either. You know, they 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 prefaced this spring by saying that he was going to be physically limited. So I didn't think there was any chance he was going to be playing in the spring game. Um, so, but it's going to be interesting to see what Blackman and Hawkman can do because I know some people have been on the Hawkman train, um, you know, over the course of the spring. So this is going to be really his first chance to kind of prove prove his his competition or, or his yeah it would, it would get super interesting if hawkman threw for three touchdowns in the spring game you know and, and blackman looked bad exactly uh, i don't expect that but i'm just saying things things happen under the lights or on the field at least in the game setting so one thing i'll say and i don't know fans probably don't want to hear this um and necessarily but i don't think it's going to be that like exciting of an event first of all you, you draft the teams, so it's not really 1v1s. You're going to have walk-ons on the field. You're going to yeah. have it's you're gonna have DJ Matthews and people getting covered by walk-ons. And uh, your offensive line play is likely going to be atrocious because you have so many injuries on that line. And there's you drafted the teams, so there's going to be no continuity. Um, 
I'm a huge proponent of playing one B one uh, ones on offense versus ones on defense. Yeah. And then twos on offense versus twos on defense. You give one team the one defense and the two on offense and the other team vice versa. It makes for a lot more competitive and interesting of a game. Like, could you imagine if we got to watch the number one corners versus the number one receivers the whole game? Like, that makes it for like interest. And then plus, then then you don't have, then when you you can see which twos are standing out because they're not going against ones. Like you can see, it just it makes for a lot better uh, viewing. Like, and you can yeah. get a lot more out of the game. It's kind of tough when, like, when uh, Acres and Laybourne and Patrick are going to be running through walk-on arm tackles. Yeah, I, I do think that, that drafting the way they did, I'm not even sure how they did it. I, I didn't really see the so, – you know, I so know the the coaches picked some. So the coaches picked all the – like the coaches picked like 30 – so they picked like 18 players on each team, I think, or maybe 20. And then the rest were like free agents that got to pick what team they're on. But the uh, drafting was whack. Corey Martinez was the number one overall pick. Yeah, I'd like to see like I, like does is that indicative that he had like a really good spring? No, no, no. So what happens is or what happened was they the coaches were all in one room and they said, "Okay, we're going to draft linemen first. And I get I that. Get, but how was he the first lineman pick? I see uh, that I don't know. I think you need like a center. I think was there more maybe and they're also I think rewarding people for like good play. That's what because, I'm saying. You know, like like what I, but I mean like I mean like hard play too. Like I don't necessarily mean like like I think uh, Brooks, DeCallan, Decalon, uh, Derek's, DeCallan, yeah, DeCallan, however you want to pronounce it. Um, I said Decalon. <laughs> Decagon, what? Uh, anyways, he was like the he was in the teens, like before Acres, and so I don't know how they did it. It was crazy. Well, I I also know that, but I, I will say that uh, DeCallan Brooks has been getting starting time yeah, yeah i know i know at but, linebacker so but that's because our linebacker group is not great yeah not not so great right now so what about um what do you make of the seeing Laybourne and white for the first time i i think it's going to be interesting you know that that's one of the biggest kind of storylines for me this year um you know jacques patrick's a really good player and and like like I don't think Florida State Florida State has a lot more trouble in that Florida game last year without him. I mean, Acres really couldn't find any space, and and, and Patrick was really the one that kind of helped break that game and uh, open into Florida State's favor. But um, you know, I, I I just think that that Laybourne really fits what Taggart's trying to do more. I think he's actually really similar to Taggart's back at Oregon, Royce Freeman. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, does Taggart kind of go with that stylistically different approach with a one-two punch of Akers and Patrick, or does he go go more towards giving LeBourne? Um, what about Rasul and White, too? Like, it's going to be tough to balance that. If I was the coach, and I'm not, and and I don't know, as much, I don't get to see the practices, but I think how I would do it, Ethan, is I would go – um, Acres gets like whatever 75, 70% of the carries, just as much as he can reasonably get. And then I would break up the other ones like evenly until you get a hot back and then you ride him. And then until like whatever, however, but I would not like, I wouldn't set a depth chart because you don't want, I don't think the difference between uh, Patrick, Laybourne, White, and Rasul is, I mean, like they they offer di- they bring different things to the table, but I don't think one of them is like much better than another. You know, I'm interested to see if we see a lot more two backs like two running back sets this year as opposed to. Well, he has you know, three back sets, which is crazy, but he does. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So I I think we definitely will. I don't know. Honestly, Acres is I think Acres is legitimately head and shoulders above the rest, and that's still like a really You know what? I, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to see. You know, I do think that Akers is special, special, but I'm waiting to see. Like, Leborn, if you remember, he had like a pretty special-looking All-American game, and we didn't really get to see what he was capable of last year, so it's going to be interesting all. to see, you know, if he can, if he can be close. Did he redshirt? Did he get the shirt? I think he shirted. That's, I, I mean, that's good. I hope he doesn't leave. I don't think he's going to. Well, I, I know, you know, I know that, that, 
I, I don't think there's any way he's happy with what happened last year. You know, he's a fight. He yeah, but it's a different. A, it's a different. It's a different system. No, of course. Yeah, it's a different system. I think you buy. Coach. I think you buy yourself if, if as long as he gets carries this year. I think you buy yourself at least this year and then next year of him. And but in the year after next, uh, Acres will be gone. So you never know. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, you. Well, you but don't. by the end of the season, honestly, we could be talking about Laybourne as one of the best running backs in the country. Just stuff like that happens. So we're saying this oh, now about him transferring, but. By the end of the season, if Akers gets hurt or or doesn't, you, you never know. I mean, Akers, Akers still has, you know, I got into a, a discussion about this with some of my friends the other day. You know, Akers still has a lot of room to grow as a back. He, he has he, a lot to he, prove. He, he has, you know, he, he broke the, the freshman rushing record for the school last year, you know, breaking Dalvin Cook's record, certainly impressive. But, you know, it, it took him a certain, you know, and he didn't play behind as, as good. I should take that back. The 14 offensive line wasn't that great. Um, even though they they were only missing one player from the year before, it didn't play. They didn't play near as good as they had until the year they, before. Until they moved Irving to center. Yeah, until they moved Irving to center, and then things kind of clicked. But um, he also took a lot more carries than Dalvin did to break. You know, to break. Oh, yeah, that. I don't think he had as good. Definitely, but 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 honestly, the the offense last year was piss poor. No matter. Well, who, a lot of it was yeah. No matter a lot who of it, was playing in it. Yeah. So. Having Jameis Winston versus James Blackman at yeah. quarterback makes a big yeah. difference. I think everybody was bogged down last year by the, the system. I think James Blackman looked worse than he actually was because of the system I, like and the culture. Like I'm not saying that Jimbo's system is flawed. I'm just saying the way things worked out, it made everybody – the offensive line looked bad. The running backs looked bad. You know? Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I mean, so I, I – So here's – so sorry to interrupt you, but here's like a new – theory of mine like what if dj matthews is like one of the better receivers in the the acc and and one of the at least in catchers and catches in the country because the, i think the the way they run the offense is there's a lot of screens and dj matthews seems like kind of like a screens machine i don't know if you saw the, the the video they put out of him fsu football did today did you see that no i didn't catch that they put out like a feature a full featured like two minute video of like FSU like the official FSU football. Uh, like, uh, yeah, one on one with DJ. Yeah, I saw. I, yeah. didn't, I didn't watch it, but I saw. It's the, like two minutes of him like walking around campus, like featuring him as like a star player already. So I just I'm just excited about that, man. Yeah, I mean he's he's a guy that that was a long time commit. Um, he's not like a red commit. zone threat or anything, but as far as catches and and yards after catch, like, Dude, I don't even know who who I think's like a good comparison for him. Yeah, no, like maybe Tavon Austin, but not not really. Like that's the kind of height he is, but he's a different. He's more of like a joystick thought, player. Yeah, I kind of thought oh, like maybe, Sean Jackson, but I don't no. know if he's as fast. He's a deep threat though. DJ's not a deep threat. Deshaun's like yeah. a deep threat. Yeah, um, he's all he's all speed. Yeah, I would say. How about um, the kid from Tol- Is it Toledo? Uh, what's the running back from Toledo? Running or back. It, yeah, the kid who's like. Tariq, no, 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 you're talking. You're thinking Tyreek Hill. No, 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 Tariq Cohen. You know who oh. that is? Oh yeah, for the. That's Bears. who he plays like. I know he's a receiver, but in space, that's who he looks like. Like very like slippery and like laterally quick. But the thing about DJ is, is he's you know he's he, he's not like. You know, and I know you know this. He, but he's like a legit receiver too with his hands. No, no, yeah, of course. You know, like there's course. that there's that video hands. there's that video that yeah, that goes around where he he's playing seven on seven and he just reaches up and snag he like point he like he like snags the point of a football as he's as he's running yeah. across the yeah. middle without I mean, slowing I, down. Yeah, without slowing so, down or so, anything. Um, I think Kareem Hunt went to Toledo. I wasn't referring to him. I was referring to Tariq Cohen. He went to who plays Carolina. for the Bears and he went to NCANT, so Carolina A and T. And yeah. he he in space he looks a lot like DJ Matthews, but those are both very unique players. They're both very small, very not not height wise, but um, bot, like skinny wise, and both very like like kind of human joystick type players. Also, Isaiah McKenzie is a player he reminds me of from Georgia. If you know who that is, yep. But yeah, no, it's a, that I think the the receiving core is definitely going to be interesting. Um, you know, also, I'll, I'll say one I, thing. I, I'm really high on David Kelly as a coach. Um, yeah. After seeing, you know, what his career and, and digging into his accomplishments and seeing how he coaches, I'm really, you know, optimistic about the, especially with the the wide receiver coaching that Florida State 
fans were put through for the last decade. It's going to be this refreshing to have a guy like David Kelly. This doesn't happen that often, but don't you think FSU could seemingly have a different guy lead the team in like every receiving category? What I mean by that is like I could see like Terry or Gavin getting the most touchdowns, but I couldn't see either of them getting the most catches or yards. I could see DJ getting like the most catches, but then like Nooney getting the most yards. You know what I mean? It's yeah, that, a, that, it's, it's going to be interesting. It's I, a I super mean, weird dynamic where we really don't have a wide receiver one at well, all. And the, and, the, and the thing is, is that you don't have an established wide receiver one. And the other thing that the, the other thing that really makes it hard is the fact that you know you're going to have a whole new offense coming in. Um, you know, Nooney's advantage as a scene. You know, whereas you might pick Nooney to to lead the team in catches or whatever if if you know it was the same system. You know, now now he's kind of set back and has a certain learning curve himself. And the other thing is, is you don't know exactly what Tackert's offense is going to look like at Florida State. You know, nope. like you said, new offensive coordinator. Um, you know, how much is Walt Bell's influence going to, you know, change Tackert's offense? And, and that's not it's not crazy to think that he might have a, an influence on oh, what definitely. the offense ends up he's, doing. He's, so he's making the game plans. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see. You know, it's just hard to predict things like that when there's so many questions that still have yet to be answered. One thing I do think is that this is this could be like a potential like breakout offense because Walt Bell and Taggart have been kind of shielded by injured quarterbacks to like the national spotlight in the last year. What I mean by that is like so Walt Bell last year hung like 60 something on a good Texas defense in the first game of the season, then lost his quarterback. So nobody talked about Maryland anymore, right? Naturally, because they they weren't that they weren't that good on offense anymore. Then Taggart was six and zero with a with a brand new system, da da da, at Oregon. Then loses his quarterback, or five and five and zero, whatever he was, and then loses his quarterback and goes seven and five. So they both kind of got shielded. One thing I will say is like, say neither of their quarterbacks get hurt, does FSU still land both of them? Like wouldn't wouldn't Taggart be a t- entirely different name if he went nine and three, ten and two at Oregon? I, I still I still think Taggart ends up at Florida State in that scenario, but I could be wrong. You know, maybe but you know, but he has, even maybe yeah, like, he decides to stay. Yeah, that's what I mean. That, no, that's entirely what I mean. There wasn't a better option for him to go to. I'm saying, yeah, like if he, if he goes ten and two at Oregon and gets in and and bolsters that, that class up that he already had going, you never know. So that it's just a point of I think FSU got both those guys at the perfect time. They bought low. Because of what seemed low, because of their hurt quarterbacks, and I think they could have a special. I'm not saying this year or anything, but just in general. Speaking on on on, I guess like last year, I've always found this game. You know, going back and looking at Taggart's record and what happened in Oregon, um, I think it was the first game in the season. Oregon played Nebraska. They hung 42 points on Nebraska in the first half, and then scored zero points in the second half and gave up 35 to Nebraska and won 42 to 35. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the more fascinating like games to look at when you're kind of studying Taggart. Uh, I just wanted to know if you'd, you'd kind of like look yeah, into that I've, and what you thought about, you know, what you thought about it. Cause, cause that's like a really peculiar thing to do to be able to hang 42 points on a team in one half and then not score a single point in the second half and, and, you know, barely eke out of it with a win. So I've watched every play of every game from Oregon last year. But what I haven't done is like necessarily take it for like, um, like like what what you're saying is like a lot of situational stuff. One thing from that game is that I can tell you that they ran the ball, and if you look at the numbers, like just the touches, they did rough, up 42 nothing. They did run the ball a ton more, and they did end up in a lot of like th- three and out situations because of that. Also, Taggart's offense is kind of like a feast or famine thing, and it. It gets going, and a lot of the, what what why people play with tempo is, it gets going, and once it gets going, it gets rolling, like because because you have an opponent on their heels, they're tired. You just ran down the whole field, and if you get a quick stop and do it again, which they were, if they were up forty two nothing. You know what I mean? Like they're obviously yeah, scored, it wears yeah, it wears on six a team. touchdowns and a half, and to hold them to zero, that means their defense is off the field the whole time. So when you get a break for the second half, and then you restart that. Um, and then obviously with being a little bit more conservative and then if your shots that, that, that you do take don't hit, I mean, I'm not, I'm, that's obviously some kind of generic excuses, but 
Um, that's I've, just one of the things that that I think you know really stood out to me uh, about that kind of like. What do you think line. about it? No, I, I agree with you, and I I do think that that um, you know, in certain situations, it, it seems like people have like like I, I the it, you know it seems like and they forever will be, but like Jimbo Fisher and Willie Taggart have kind of been like linked, um, you know, and obviously for good reason. But people have kind of been like romanticizing like everything that Willie does and like oh, trying to make it. Yeah, that's natural. That's for sure. Definitely yeah, exactly. happening right now. Try, Nothing is as good make, as it seems right now. For exactly. Trying to make it seem like everything is different than what that what Jimbo did. Um, but I agree with you. I, I do think that that Taggart got con, like conservative compared to his original game plan in that game. And, and so I just thought, you know, I just think it was, it was well, interesting I don't, to see. I also don't think he was expecting to give up 35 points, to be fair. To a team I mean, I don't think, yeah, I don't think anyone expect, you know, would like would want to go into a half expecting to give up 35 points. Mm. But that's but, a uh, good point. That's a good, that's a good uh, observation. No, See, it's I just something that, game, that because I was just watching the offense. Yeah, I didn't really notice that. It's just, a, it's just a really, you know, to me, to me, like it's just a score line that you don't, you don't see very often, and it, it's a score line that that you kind of have to like look at and be like, okay, like what about this coach? allowed that to happen and, mm-hmm. and you could you yeah. could say the same thing about nebraska's coach like how the hell do you score zero points in one half and let the other team score 42 and then in the other half score 35 and let them score none you know it, it's just like a that's just like a really weird football game you know it's right. it's kind of a outlier definitely statistical anomaly okay so because i have to get off uh soon because uh, i have lab in like seven hours um the last question I'll pose over under two and a half commits um, before Monday. So I'll give you Saturday at the game, after the game, and then Sunday when they're visiting with the facilities and making their way home. You know, I'm not entirely sure. I, I guess I say probably like like just over, maybe like three commits. I'm not even sure who they're going to be, but I think, you know, this this spring game is going to be a big deal. There's going to be a lot of former players back in town. Um, you know, I'm trying to think, who do we know? We know Dion's going to be back, you know, Demarcus Walker. Dalvin um, Cook. Dalvin Cook. Um, you know, there's going to be a, a bunch who's, of, It's a who's who of Florida State players. Yeah, so, I mean, it's going to be a big deal. There's going to be a lot of hype. Um, I, I think they secure a couple commit, you know, three commit, three plus commitments. I think it's going to be right around three. Uh, like I, 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 if you want to give the stat about, about the Oregon spring game, you can, I just don't think it's going to get, I don't think it'll be quite that good. You talking uh, about last, last, um, like, yeah, like oh, Oregon so spring Taggart, game. last year at, at, uh, Oregon spring game, just worth noting Taggart, uh, received six commitments. I don't think six players are in a position to commit this week. So I don't think that's like even a possibility, but it is interesting to note that I guess they pushed for a lot of commitments at the spring game last year, um, and to see if they do that as well this year. You know, yeah, that's really it's one of the the more underrated or under talked about kind of parts of recruiting is really like what the, what the coach's recruiting strategy is for you know like securing commitments and when they when they want to secure commitments because you know a certain amount of it is just like oh I'll take this guy's commitment anytime I can, but there's also certain ways that that the to staff manipulate can push it. and yeah. Can manipulate and push and hold off on certain guys and stuff like that and you know i think we, we kind of figured out jimbo's to a certain extent um but it's going to be interesting to see what taggart's is because uh, i i do think like we talked about earlier that he pushed for howell's commitment before the spring game so that howell can recruit as a florida state quarterback commit at the spring game so um it's going to be interesting to see you know as we go through these first couple years with willie taggart at the helm you know like what what kind of recruiting pattern we see him develop so the big names that will be on campus this weekend off the top of my head, and I'm sure I'm missing some, are Goolsby is the wide receiver. I'm not sure they'd take a commitment from him right now, but I think he's – He could be on commit watch. But I, if he, I think he one. would commit if they'd take it, but I don't think they would take one right now because, like I said, they're kind of shooting for the stars at receiver since they just took five. Uh, then you got Dante Lucas, who we talked about, uh, the guard who you said referred to Florida State as we – you got the number one player in the country, which is Kayvon Thibodeau. You have the you have three of the DNs that we talked about, which I think Summerall. Um, then the commit Mike Morris. And I think Bogle from Cardinal Gibbons will be there too. Um, other than that, 
I don't think anybody is that I know is going that's like a big name or that we discussed. And I don't think I'd put anybody on commit, commit watch other than Dante Lucas personally. So I'm going under two and a half. Okay, you're going to uh, make sense. But, but I don't know because I think there's a I think there's like 10, 20, 20 kids visiting, and I would not be surprised to see them pop. Okay, so I, I, I think I would I would qualify and say 2019. I was thinking just the 2019. Oh, so definitely under. I don't think okay. – I think it will be one, one, maybe two, like a really shocking one. But uh, having followed recruiting pretty closely this spring, I don't know which of those guys will pop because I don't think they'll take Goolsby's commitment. Lucas, I think definitely could. Thibodeau definitely won't co- commit. He's been he's been on a tour of the whole country, recently, and then Summerall, Bogle, uh, and then Morris is already committed. So Summerall and Bogle, I mean, I think they're both. I don't think either of them are considered FSU leans right now. So just interesting. Um, but I guess I think Bogle. I I think Bogle. Bogle could. Uh, yeah, I think Bogle is kind of a lean, and and maybe someone that could get caught up in the. That'd be in cool. The, That'd be hype. That'd in be the uh, wash, I don't know. We'll see. We'll um, definitely see. We got to do a. Post I, I'm like right. Game. I'm like right on like two and a half. Like I. Yeah, yeah. Easily, I think that's yeah. a fair number. I think a lot of people would go over because, but I'm just I'm like looking at the actual, um, like names that are going to be there. I don't think, they would get to that number. But we'll see. And I we need to do a podcast early next week because I really want to talk spring, spring game. Uh, like what what the summer entails and. Kind of, we'll look back at maybe what Tagger had recruiting wise last summer going on and uh, try to compare it a little bit. Yeah, sounds like a plan. Well, this is uh, Ethan Vaughn with uh, Ryan Stalder here signing off on another episode of Here at the Spear presented by No Game Day. <laughs> <laughs>